Brave a moment with Brave a moment with Brave a moment with Brenny. Me? Brave a moment with Brave a moment with Brave a moment with Brenny. Why? Brave a moment with Brenny. Let's do it. are now pressing play on brave a moment podcast and pause on all the distractions that no longer serve you welcome to a feel-good exploratory lifestyle podcast where you come as you are and leave a little more as you truly are thank you for joining me brenny on my journey to simply be and discover more about myself others and the world For each episode, I invite an experienced guest to help me on my journey by introducing a moment for me to brave or embody for one week, incorporating specific steps, brave steps, while sharing their wisdom, experience, and connection to that topic. I am so happy that you are here listening. Let's get into it. Be brave. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. His name is Dr. Doug Kennedy. Thanks, Brittany. So a little bit about how we know each other. In spring 2018, so my junior, would that be my, yeah, my junior year of college, I took an MBSR, which is Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction class through this the Center for Spirituality and Healing at the U. I was really inspired by this class. This was the first time I've ever heard of things like meditation or intentional breathing. I've heard of yoga before, so there were components of yoga in the class as well. But I really resonated with the different activities and found that the quote-unquote homework assignments and projects that we had were really applicable to my life and things that I never had the opportunity to learn about in a formal way. So I was really glad that I kind of just took that class on a whim. And I think that Dr. Kennedy or Doug, mm-hmm. what do you prefer? I think in class you can call me Doug. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Okay. All right. So Doug uh, was really relatable and real. And he also, of course, was very knowledgeable. He's, he has his PhD. And so I found it really easy to talk to him about things conceptually, but also how to integrate them into my life. So I wanted to bring him back. It's been over a year now since mm-hmm. we've last interacted. But I think he would be a great addition to this podcast and the perfect person to talk about today's topic. Okay. So it's it's really interesting actually, Brenny, hearing you talk about first impressions. Um, because so Brenny was a student in a fairly big class. It was like 25 of you in there. And as nerdy as it sounds, I know when I would get your papers, I was always really excited to read them because like you said, you were connecting it to what you were reading, your coursework, your personal life. And there was just this deep engagement that, you know, from like the teacher side, it was always just really, really nice to to engage. You know, you always hope that a student is going to grab, you know, take your learning. And I think as I told your class too, and like pointed at the door, it's the, my goal is that when you would leave this class, that you would actually internalize it. And this is really, I'm so excited that you sent the invitation to talk with you and to see what you're doing with this and how that's become part of your life. So 
always amazed to hear what you're doing. And obviously, you're doing great work in all kinds of parts of your life. And I'm really excited to, to be here and have this conversation with you. So thank you for reaching out. Yeah, thank you for saying yes. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit more about who you are. Mm-hmm. So the listeners who don't know you can know about your backgrounds and different experiences mm-hmm. that you've had and what kind of makes you qualified to talk about today's topic. Okay, so we have to qualify the qualifying, probably, <laughs> right? Um, and you have set a stage that now I'm a little nervous. I'm actually feeling stressed around this. But, oh, um, do we need to take a breath? Probably. (laughs) It's going to be ongoing throughout this. So at the center at the U of M, I teach the course that Brennan took a couple of years ago. So introduction to mindfulness-based stress reduction. Also, I I run a program for teachers to help them better regulate in terms of their stress, their emotions, and mindfulness, our mindfulness and educational program, our mindfulness and education program. And I do research as part of our integrated health and well-being research team where I design mindfulness-based interventions for veterans as they're working with pain, for senior citizens as they're, uh, as they're trying to increase their physical activity. And also part of my work too is on community engagement. So in my past studies, I examined the intercultural behaviors of teachers and there's a really nice kind of confluence of as we do research and specifically reaching underrepresented populations. So it's, it's really fantastic. I get to teach, I get to do research, I get to talk a lot about mindfulness. And then outside of the university, uh, I'm a dad, which I get jokes from about my students because of my jokes. Uh, And, uh, you know, if I could do anything and money was no object, I'd probably snowboard 200 and some days out of the year. And yeah, I think that's probably enough. There's got to be some fun out there too. Not just work, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's cool to know because when I read about mindfulness in educational settings, Mm -hmm. I thought that was about because I've heard of um, initiatives where they will not place like younger students mm-hmm. in detention. Mm-hmm. Instead, mm-hmm. they'll have them practice mindfulness or meditation. So right. that's what I thought yeah. you were doing. Yeah. But that's really interesting that it's the teacher mm-hmm. aspect. Well, there's a, and that's a great point. It's really, really timely because NPR ran a story about mindfulness in schools and specifically that it's not perfect in practice. And they bring up that exact point that you have, that, that it's targeted typically at students, but then you have these teachers that are stressed out and there's a tremendous level of attrition, burnout, and we know a lot about teachers' behaviors that if they can't regulate their emotions, that's going to have an effect on kids. And you really can't teach what you don't possess, what you don't own. I mean, if you had a math teacher that couldn't do division and you were trying to have them teach kids, it doesn't make a lot of sense. We joke with the teachers in our program that it's the most hopeful place in education because teachers are actually engaging with stress and saying, you know what, I feel better. I want to be here and I'm showing up better for my kid. From all that we know about learning, if we can do something like that, if we can make an impact that way and keep teachers that care, because no teacher's going into teaching for, you know, for the salary or other reason, it's because they like kids. And if we can keep them there and have them still feel that passion then we're doing a great job, not just for that teacher, but for the thousands of kids that that teacher will interact with over their lifetime. Right, absolutely. Especially as being a model for students mm-hmm. and being impressionable, they're able to see how does my teacher react when the classroom is chaotic right. or and then how do I react in turn? Totally. So yeah, totally. that's really important. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and there's kind of an also piece now is we're looking at about two thirds of our students that have either experienced trauma Um, or have witnessed in the home, whether it's uh, sexual, physical violence, those types of things. The best thing that that we can have in schools is a teacher who is not going to meet this kid's fear and reactivity with that. So if we can help them, one, both recognize trauma in their classroom, um, be trauma-informed, and then also regulate their own emotions too, that makes those classroom spaces much better for all the kids in their classroom. 
Absolutely. Thank you. What you gonna brave today? All right. Today we're gonna be talking about breathing. So why is that important? Don't we know how to do that since we are born? Yes. And if we're not breathing, we've obviously got other issues going on. But when we talk about, you know, the practices for, you know, for this podcast, and we're really talking about paying attention to the breath and then being able to utilize it, it's got a couple of purposes. One, it's this really simple place where we can put our focus. You know, it's accessible to most people. You know, sometimes it, it can be problematic, but by and large, for many people, it's neutral. It's always there. We don't have to really do anything with it. And then the second part is that it actually has, when we start to pay attention to our breath and when we start to do one of the practices that you had, which was diaphragmatic breathing or deep belly breathing, that it has this calming effect on the nervous system. So, you know, it serves an attentional piece and then also it, it has this piece that can help us kind of ground and feel more calm. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you feel like it's important to teach breathing? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, because it should be, like you said, it's something that we do since birth. But uh, when I think about my students, and I would include you, you know, and that, so like over the years, over the last 25 years, is that, you know, students are really, really busy. Someone like you is really, really driven, and you can do, you can schedule yourself, you can work really, really hard, you can turn out great work. But how do we kind of come off of that treadmill, right? That's not taught. And then it can be, you know, a process of either learning to emotionally regulate, it can be learn, learning to manage stress, and the breath is really just a, kind of like a, a doorway into that. At the same time, you know, uh, for students that are, that are really, really driven, that slowing down can also be kind of uncomfortable too. And I think you experienced that. Like, I can remember back a couple of years, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to slow down. Like, thoughts are coming up. Um, there was actually a study that was done back a number of years ago where they gave people the ability to either be alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes, you know, and just breathe and not have their phone or anything or give themselves an electric shock. And by <laughs> uh, the majority of people opted to give themselves an electric shock. Obviously, we weren't going to do that one in class, but um, but I think that kind of tells like, you know, we're on this this sort of high alert. We've got a lot of competing demands for our attention. So the ability to slow down and using that as a way to start, you know, kind of a conversation and how we relate in this body to this moment in this life is really important. I think the thing that scared me a lot was the common phrase of turning inward. Mm. Like the reason a yeah. lot of people are so <laughs> keep themselves quote unquote busy or productive is because they're running away from that and mm -hmm. they're uncomfortable yeah. with with sitting with with that and being with themselves mm -hmm. in such an intimate way. Mm -hmm. And something that I just thought of is I think a lot of the listeners could probably answer the question, why are people so resistant to things mm -hmm. like meditation and mindfulness? Mm -hmm. But my question for you is what do you think about what benefits people from not wanting to integrate that into their life? Does that make sense, mm -hmm. like the yeah. question I'm asking? Yeah, if it doesn't, then stop me and say that's not what I'm asking, just like class. Um, so I, I think in some ways there is that, that discomfort. Uh, it's, it's also really easy. You know, I was, my kid will hate me for, for talking about this, but, you know, like to hit Netflix and to zone out for a few minutes or to, you know, I mean, and I, I do this, like I'll check the news when I'm, you know, doing work and it's like, oh, I'm being an informed citizen. Oh, I'm just taking a little break. But it's not actually 
helping in terms of addressing the stress. In fact, when we do that, we're largely ignoring the messages that our body is sending us. It's like, I need a break. Okay, so maybe I should do something like stepping away from the computer or instead of pushing away emotions, you know, maybe actually addressing them. And I was thinking, you know, just from a personal standpoint, like in moments of grief that there was a time, you know, I lost I lost one of my dogs and the way that I was dealing with it was just shoving it away until my child had mentioned, you know, you haven't driven past the lake in nine months, Dad. Do you think maybe that's not a good way of being? Um, wow, she t- turned it around on you. Uh-huh. Use really your own smart. medicine. At age five. Oh, so, wow. um, so that was pretty amazing. But, you know, when we actually approach them, we find that, you know, either these emotions um, that are there, they have less of a hold on us. We're, we're better able to then navigate them. And we don't shy away from, you know, things that may be uncomfortable or from, you know, activities that maybe would be beneficial to us. But boy, you know, kind of amusing ourselves is really seductive and it's really easy. I mean, gosh, we've got, you know, our tablets and our phones and our laptops. Entertainment is never far away, but that's kind of like papering over a hole in the wall. You know, it it doesn't actually address what's there. Mm -hmm. I also think like in our minds, I don't think the amount of effort it takes to sit in silence versus sit on your phone is much different. (laughs) But I think we make it different in our heads. Mm -hmm. Like for Mm -hmm. me, I know I'm like, oh, if I'm going to meditate, it has to be perfect. I have to like the perfect kitchen. (laughs) Um, I have to like be completely silent. If people are talking in my apartment, no, I can't do it. It's going to mess up my bliss. So we talk ourselves out of it Mm -hmm. and make up excuses. Mm -hmm. And there are less excuses, I guess, available for what would prevent you from watching Netflix for hours on <laughs> It's a lot easier. But there's something, too, about that about that perfectionism. You know, that there's there's so much out there, you know, so many apps that you could, that you can buy, you know, mm-hmm. so many books. It's, I mean, it was even on, like, years ago on a Parks and Rec episode where, you know, Ron was going was gonna to sit with Chris. So there's this kind of false bill of goods, like wrecking my bliss. You know, we sit. But it's without that expectation, mm-hmm. right? We focus on the breath. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be great. And what happens if your mind wanders? It's like, well, guess what? You have a mind. It's going to wander after a couple of minutes. You're going to get bored and your mind is going to drift. So that perfectionist side, that inner you know, critic starts to go, man, I suck at this. I'm terrible at it. I can't do this. But as soon as you notice that your, your attention has gone away, then you come back to the breath. You've done it perfectly. That's the practice. That's mindfulness. You know, and, and we're kind of we're using mindfulness and breathing kind of interchangeably here. It's like when we pay attention to the breath, breath, we're actually doing mindfulness practice of that. But for those of us that are kind of like re, uh, recovering perfectionists or trying to get better at that, you know, if we go, well, I can't fail because every time my mind wanders and I bring it back, I've succeeded. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and what if we do that in one aspect of our life? And it's not, you know, especially for students or people that are just starting out in careers when we feel like we're being evaluated or assessed all the time. You know, if we have one area where we can kind of loosen that grip a little bit and we see what that's like, you know, and approach ourselves with a little bit of kindness, you know, well, what happens when we start to apply that in other places? It's like we get a little bit of a training gym with this practice, even if it's just for a couple of minutes a day. And then we can start to go and apply it out to the world. It's like when you talked about, well, why focus on the breath? Well, it's like we start in small pieces. You know, when we did class, when you were in it a couple years ago, we started with a body because everyone's got a body and we can pay attention to sensation. And then we get a little bit bigger 
a little bit bigger, a little bigger. Pretty soon we're talking about how we engage with people, whether it's, you know, family, loved ones, friends, coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think with the perfectionism piece, for me, if my mind did wander, I would think to myself, do I have to start over again? Like, do I not get credit for this because I I did it wrong? Um, and of course, that's when I was taking a, a class. So it kind mm-hmm. of was like we had a, we kept our journals of mm-hmm. the different practices that we did every day and the amount of minutes that mm-hmm. we did it for. And mm-hmm. I was like, do I count these minutes where I know I was not being mindful and my brain was just on its little treadmill doing mm-hmm. its thing? And so... It's important to have that constant reminder of that's not what the goal is. The goal isn't to be able to turn off your brain. Right. It's to be able to bring more awareness to your breath and be able to let those thoughts come and go Mm -hmm. and like not have that attachment to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a really important point. Like at no point in those rubrics was it you had to be perfect. Or you, this is what your practice had to be, or you know your textbook didn't cost three thousand dollars because if you didn't practice in this perfect way, you know John Kabat-Zinn was going to come to your house and like yell at you. <laughs> um, but uh, you make a really good point. It's like it's more in this first-person knowledge. It's sort of almost learning a different way of relating, um, or actually, if for many people, relating for the first time to their thoughts and emotions, and. Um, and even like, how do I start something new that I'm not good at, right? So it can be a real shift for, for folks. Um, it's kind of strange that we teach it on a university campus because it seems antithetical to, you know, to putting in more information and putting out more information into papers. Mm-hmm. Really kind of a radical step. Yeah. So then I guess that leads to the next question about if it's so difficult for people in general to focus on awareness and breath and mindfulness. What kind of led you to making that your career? If it's so difficult, well then, (laughs) it keeps it interesting. But here's the thing, and I I think I told this to your class, you know, years ago, that I came to this practice in a moment of crisis, you know, that, you know, that recovering perfectionism was actually a a lot more intense. It was really kind of a a high-functioning train wreck, I think it was the term that Mm -hmm. that I've used where stress and the way that I was engaging in relationships at work, I could get awards in my sports. I was doing really, really well. I was getting recognition for these things, but how I was relating to them was disastrous. And when it looked like I was going to lose the things that were most important to me, things had to change. So mindfulness is what is what did it it was actually an instructor at the university of minnesota who introduced me to it and i started to practice and that was 15 15 years ago so there's this deep personal impact that it had i mean it it put me back into my life you know really in a very real way and i saw it show up in the way that i was dealing with my students and the way i was engaging with stress how i was you know being in my marriage later you know as a as a parent and this is not to say that it was successful all the time. I mean, still, the human experience means we're just, we get up really early to make a lot of mistakes and then just recover from them. Mm-hmm. So there's this personal drive in, you know, wanting to share that idea. And then there's this potential in terms of like the research is really nascent. You know, we've got about 7,000 studies out there that show that it has potential you know, in things like in mental health and in pain management, potentially helping teachers with stress. So it's really exciting as well to be in this field and to take the personal and to make it into the professional. But that also means being very, very critical about it. 
you know, that given that I'm a professor at, you know, at the University of Minnesota, that I'm on federally funded grants, I have to be very credible in what I'm speaking. So it's a check on some of the, the buzz that's out there on mindfulness. So it's, it's kind of like walking on a tightrope all the time. You mm-hmm. know, it's like deep personal impact, scientific credibility, and then helping people be like a critical scholar. It's some, some people like you will do it automatically. Like you're going to start reading, you're going to ask a lot of questions about it. But like a, some of the work that we've done with schools is just helping people sift the good from the hype. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you even Google like, mindfulness, mm-hmm. people have definitely tried to capitalize on that. A hundred percent of like yeah. in the workplace and mm-hmm. getting fancy chairs and mm-hmm. different things for them to use in the workplace. So I saw on Google they had or when I did a Google search, it was like 46 million hits in under a second. And like one of the top listings was, you know, the 15 beauty products that you could buy. Mm. I was like, oh, if only I had known, you know, if I could just buy this lotion, then I wouldn't have had to spend all this time sitting, you know, but it sells, like you said, it's people have profited on it. It went from a cottage industry to big business. Amazon has storefronts for mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So helping people go, you know, this is what the experience is. Here's how you can utilize it. Here's the good information from the bad. Um, Maybe we'll help people too. So when they're not just engaging and expecting everything to transform and setting realistic expectations, as well as starting a conversation around, again, how to be uh, or around being or navigating emotions. It's We don't talk a lot about these topics uh, in American culture typically. So how do we get more savvy around that and, you know, and begin to have these conversations where people can, can grow and thrive and connect? Yeah, thank you. Bam. So this is the segment where we talk about research. And so since I am with a researcher, I was thinking we could do it a little bit differently where there's not going to be trivia or little guessing games about research facts. I figured we would approach it a little differently this time. And I would talk a little bit about what I have learned in my own life about mindfulness and what certain things stood out to me as a person. <laughs> and one of those is this idea of um, your nervous system. And so I learned about that in psychology that we have like two different nervous systems. One is the parasympathetic and the other is the sympathetic. And I had learned that I was operating and being fueled by my sympathetic nervous system like my whole life. So that is that fight or flight response mechanism where you're kind of on survival mode. It's what keeps you on your toes, what keeps you like looking behind your shoulder. But I found that I was exhausted because that's how I was always operating. And the only time where I was maybe calm, so the parasympathetic is more that rest and digest, when I was actually asleep. And I was thinking, how can I bring that sense of calmness and centeredness to myself when I'm awake. (laughs) I think that's important too, to not always be on high alert. So when I learned about how meditation can help you tap into that rest and digest while you're awake, that's something that I was really attracted to and found beneficial in my life, where I could take moments to myself where I'm not constantly on overdrive and could replenish myself after being super stressed. Can I give you a story about that? Yeah. That'd be okay? Yeah. So, like, I mean, you're describing something where, where people inhabit that a lot, right? You know, where we can have another energy drink, have a cup of coffee, and sort of the 
you know, from my own personal experience too, like the adrenaline is kind of, it's, it's a rush. It's kind of addictive, right? Or even, you know, we do things where we're exercising harder and harder, but the body never comes to rest. So mm-hmm. if you could imagine you're watching a YouTube video, but you've got the, the volume off, right? And in this YouTube video, it's like shot from above and there's this car and then there's this person and they are, you can see them, they're kicking the car, they're hitting the car, they're yelling, you know, you just see them like, fist balled up just shouting and you're like this person's insane right you know, like what is going on what did the you know what's going on with the car and then when you hit the volume and you hear what they're saying they're saying stupid car you always need gas i drive you all day at 90 miles an hour but you always demand gas you demand that i fix your brakes that i put oil in it and you'd think this person is really messed up at that point but you kind of wonder like but if we do that to ourselves And sometimes that inner voice, that inner critic is going into, you should just work a little harder. And I was thinking, you know, some of the students I had in high school and even, you know, my own child, it's like, if I'm not going until I break, then there's something wrong with me. And we've got like a level of social desirability around, you know, if I'm stressed, then I'm doing the, I'm doing the work, I'm doing the right stuff. And it's like, well, what if you were actually thriving and engaged and, and really doing great work and able to to do that without feeling like you're just going to fall apart at the seams or the physiological symptoms, you know, muscle tightness and tightness in your chest and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely noticed, too, something that attracted me to mindfulness, especially during the class. We talked about pain. Mm-hmm. And I have like chronic back pain mm-hmm. that I still experience to this day. But I did think it was really interesting when I was reading John Kabat-Zinn's mm-hmm. book, The Catastrophe. Full Catastrophe Full Living. Catastrophe yeah. Living. Yeah, I was like, I know. <laughs> Such yeah. a great title, right? You know, so Full Catastrophe. There's the chapter where he talks about pain and mm-hmm. chronic pain, mm-hmm. and um. I never thought of leaning into the pain before and, mm-hmm. like, allowing myself to experience it because that's kind of – anytime I experienced any, like, discomfort or distress, I would just try to ignore it mm-hmm. or push it down, push it mm-hmm. away. And there's another metaphor we can talk about, like, the beach ball metaphor, mm-hmm. like the beach ball in the water of you keep pushing it down, pushing it down in the water, and it gets to a point where you either can't push it down anymore because it's your arms are already fully extended or the, I don't know physics, but the pressure with the ball in the water becomes too great that it will come up and, and hit you in the face. Yep. <laughs> and that happened to me on multiple occasions. And I was like, okay, yeah. I need to do something differently. So I think that the story that you were talking about earlier of being in crisis or being at a point where you're like, I don't know what else to turn to. Mm-hmm. That's what brings a lot of people to meditation. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. lot of people are naturally going to be skeptical mm-hmm. of it. But I think when you get to a point where your back is against the wall and you're like, well, I might as well try it. Mm-hmm. And then you gave yourself the opportunity to experience those benefits. Mm-hmm. So that's something that even for physically feeling better, because people think about it being a mental mm-hmm. cure or right. a mental, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what word I'm trying to think of, but they focus more on the emotional mm-hmm. and the inner being, whereas it does have a lot of effects on the physical. I don't know if you can speak to that. Yeah. But. I mean, especially around around the pain piece. And this is some of the work that we're doing at the at the U. You know, pain is a, is a complex phenomena and where it occurs. And then there a whole you know constellation of behaviors around and how people deal with it 
So, you know, we could look at how people reach to medication because there's a fear response. Um, again, it's, it's really complicated. You could devote like a whole week of podcasts to people's experience with pain. But, you know, the potential for mindfulness then is maybe to help people regulate their behavior to understand, as you pointed out, the difference between discomfort and then pain with that interrupting, right, kind of nature that it, it's, it's alarming us, it's trying to protect us. But then also being able to see the behaviors around it. How am I engaging with this? You know, what we were doing in MBSR, you know, before that was like looking at the relationship that we have to our sensations, you know, whether that's discomfort or an itch, our emotions and our thoughts. And then pain is then an extension of it. So, you know, as we look at kind of mindfulness and the, and the research writ large, there's a lot that we're starting to know about like the basic biology of our brains and where mindfulness is happening, what region of the brain is being, being activated, you know, what's happening in terms of neurological structures in the brain, right? But then there's also a lot of applications, and that's kind of where the U is situated. Well, what happens when we use mindfulness to address people's relationships to pain? or to stress, or, you know, in workplace things? How does it help people become more resilient or better team members, for example? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Do the damn thing. The three brave steps that I gave Brenny were to first start with soft belly breathing. This is sometimes also known as diaphragmatic or slow abdominal breathing. And this is really a foundation for paying attention to the breath, right? And she's had some experience with this in her MBSR class. And I gave her some techniques on how to do it, uh, just a little bit of a refresher. And then there was a guided practice, which was her, or her second step. And what Brenny was supposed to do was to conduct a 10 to 20 minute sitting practice every day. And this is now taking the technique and putting it into practice away from distraction, dedicated time to it. And then the last one was the practical application that when we encounter stress in our lives or difficult situations or we're feeling overwhelmed because there's a ton of stuff at work, it was a protocol called STOP. And that's an acronym for S is to stop or slow down. So literally to take a break and then next to take a breath. So doing the belly breathing to observe, noticing the body and what's being felt, noticing the emotions, okay? Like, oh, wow, you know, my heart rate's going up, things like that. And then P is sort of the, okay, now that I've slowed down, what are the possibilities out there? Process the possibilities. So then Brenny went out for a week, tried them out, um, working in that kind of stair-step progression, and we'll find out how she did. Diving deeper. Okay, so now I'm going to tell Doug a little bit about my experiential week. So I will give a little bit of context that for part of the week, I was in Florida for a family wedding. And so it was the perfect opportunity for me to test out some of these different steps. And something that I will note, especially if this is your first time listening to the podcast, the steps that I have received in the past, sometimes I can kind of check them off. Mm -hmm. So I can write them down and then put a little highlight and be like, okay, done, did it. Like the last episode after I cooked a traditional meal, mm -hmm. I did that, done, I don't have to do it again. But for these, I was thinking, how how will I approach it? How will I integrate it into my life? Will I do it every day? Will I do it only when it seems relevant? And so I kind of just had a reminder on my phone 
at like noon every day like have you done something have you thought about it and with the meditation that was kind of hard because I'm not a morning person Mm -hmm. like at all I'm trying to get better at it but I thrive at night like Mm -hmm. I love the nighttime which also makes it really difficult for me to go to sleep So I found the first couple of days I ended up doing the 10-minute meditation that Doug sent me. And I can add that in the show notes and the resources, everything too. So you can try it out if you would like. I did that at night Mm -hmm. for the first couple of days when I was away just because in the morning we were sharing one bathroom Mm -hmm. in a hotel. And so we just had to coordinate. So it was kind of I needed to be paying attention to what was going on. So I didn't carve out time for that in the morning when I was away. So I did it at night, and it helped me kind of consolidate the different things that happened that day Mm -hmm. and just be in tune to my breath because I didn't really make time for that during the day, running around, helping with the wedding, Mm -hmm. different things like that. And so I found it was really helpful, and I do think I slept better because of it and it helped me because I think sometimes I just jump into bed and like just express myself to be able to fall asleep on the spot (laughs) but then I'm like not paying attention to like even decreasing my heart rate or Mm -hmm. just different I mean that's not I wasn't even paying attention to that during the meditation Mm -hmm. but it was doing that Mm -hmm. you know and oh I don't know. Words aren't coming to me right now. Um, But you know what I'm trying to say. So uh, with the meditation, that one was kind of difficult for me. And I also kind of judged myself a lot because I was laying down for most of it. Mm -hmm. And I know on the website, I love the Taking Charge Mm -hmm. website. It's really good. And it's improved over Mm -hmm. the years. But it does talk about that of how the posture doesn't define the practice and how it's more of supporting it. So... If you do feel like you're not going to fall asleep and you're actually benefiting from laying down, mm-hmm. I think I read that that's that's okay. So maybe yeah. that's one misconception we sure. can talk about right now is that, yeah. like, you don't have to be, like, have a, a ruler right up against your back and be, like, perfectly mm-hmm. straight and not able to, to sit in a way that's comfortable right. for yourself. So. Yeah. I mean, so for that, I mean, there are a couple of things. If really the first rule uh, is to care for yourself, you know, and if you, for example, if you're suffering from back pain, it may be more comfortable to lie, you know, flat on your back or to stand. It's, again, the posture doesn't define and, and the gear doesn't define. You don't have to spend $100 on a meditation cushion, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to say in class that, you know, you can practice in a chair because the university is infested with them. There's like 100,000 chairs or something like that. It's just unreal. So it's accessible to you. The most important part is to be in a position that will support your practice where you can be comfortable, where you're feeling safe, and that you can pay attention to your breath. Yeah. Yeah. So no judgment about lying down. Great. Thank you. I did try sitting, Mm -hmm. and that was in the morning. So when I got back to Minnesota, I was like, okay, well, now I have some time. I don't have as much pressure in the morning. Mm -hmm. I can wake up a little early before work Mm -hmm. to make time for it. And I found that part of the reason why I don't like mornings is, like, a lot of times I spring out of bed and I instantly get a headache. Mm -hmm. Like, that happens very frequently Mm -hmm. for me where I wake up and I just get out of bed immediately to go turn off my alarm clock. (laughs) And then sometimes I jump back into bed and my body's very confused. What's going? Are we up? Are we not up? 
And so I was thinking about it too because I do practice yoga. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how when you're in Shavasana, so like the final resting pose or corpse pose, Mm -hmm. if you've ever done yoga, you start to bring different you know sensation back into your mm-hmm. body after laying still for a mm-hmm. while and so you start to wiggle your toes and your fingertips and like flood your eyes open and close your jaw and then you still don't spring up you like go into your fetal pose mm-hmm. where you're using your bicep as a pillow and so you're kind of moving your body toward that position of being able mm-hmm. to sit up and then finally stand up and so it made sense to me that having something to ease yourself out of that resting stage mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I felt more alert and awake mm-hmm. in the morning after I played the guided meditation. Mm-hmm. I've never done a meditation that was silent before. Oh, actually, mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. I have yeah, in class. class. I yeah. have in class, but not on my own, I guess is right. what I meant. Like, I haven't independently just sat somewhere mm-hmm. and just was like, okay, I'm going to put a timer on for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and just be silent. I've always liked the guided mm-hmm. meditations, maybe because it makes me think I'm doing something when I'm really not. <laughs> it tricks my brain a little bit. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's my experience okay. with the meditation. I'm still working on it, I mm-hmm. would say. One thing that I did notice was in that specific clip, they say pay attention to the beginning, middle, and end of your inhale. Mm-hmm. And the beginning, middle, and end of like the space in between, and then mm-hmm. your exhale as well. Mm-hmm. And I found that I couldn't do that because I was breathing too fast. Mm-hmm. So I just was like very, I kind of got a little overwhelmed and annoyed with myself too. Mm-hmm. That I was like, how come you can't even identify these different parts oh, of no. your breath? <laughs> so then I started judging myself. Right. But then I was thinking, okay, what will help me? And there's this GIF, um, you've probably seen it. I'm going to pull it up. Let me pause it for a second. Okay. So I found the GIF. This is it. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so I'll add it somehow to the website, I think. Mm -hmm. But it's just this little graphic, and it grows in size and gets Mm -hmm. smaller. So that, I don't know if it was exactly this one, Mm -hmm. but things like this where I can see it. Right. Like I can see the beginning of the shape. I can mm-hmm. see the middle of it yeah. and the end of it. So having that visual mm-hmm. really helped me. So then I started mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This might not be meditation anymore. But so that's what I was doing. I was looking at this. Uh-huh. I was breathing. And I was listening to the guided meditation. Mm-hmm. And it felt better. And I yeah. had my headphones on mm-hmm. when I was listening to it. Right. Um, so that actually helped me be less distracted too by mm-hmm. other things that may have been going mm-hmm. on in the space. So that's what I looked like when I was doing it. Can I, can I offer a couple of Yes. Things? Okay. So one, like the GIF actually when we've worked with kids and teaching mindfulness, and a lot of programs do this. So not to say that you're a kid, but <laughs> but it's that same type of thing. And even the Apple Watch app on, mm-hmm. on breathing has that same type of expanding and contracting. Sometimes you can use, you know, we've taught kids to trace their hands, to trace their fingers to do it, or we've worked with Hoberman spheres. Oh. It works with adults too, right? But it's that being conscious of that rising and falling, or like we talked about it in class, or like that oceanic, you know, like waves hitting a beach, right? Mm-hmm. So, but then the other part that's really important, I mean, so like that helps, like being able to, to visualize that, or there are other pieces that people can do, like counting their breaths or things like that too. To counting makes me anxious. Well, then don't do that. I mean, that's, part of this is giving a lot of choices. Because then I like, am I counting too fast? Am I counting too slow? Well, it's each inhale is, in, is one, and then you exhale. Really? Inhale, I thought they say you inhale for four counts. 
Well, that's different. So you're counting, that would be like timing the breaths, right? So it's slowing you down. But you could also do it, like especially if you're distracted, where it's my mind keeps wandering, I keep going to my to-do list, my emails, things like that. So inhale, one, and then you exhale. Inhale, then that's two. And you can just go up to 10, and 10's arbitrary. But the thing is, like, if, even if you fall off and you only make it to seven before your brain wanders again, well, then come back to one. But then the part, and you did a really good job of mentioning this, that inner critic, like, oh, my gosh, I suck at this. I'm only making it to seven or I'm only making it to four, and I've had to do this a thousand times. Like, so what? You noticed it, so start again, right? And the same thing around, you know, well, I'm always using a guided practice. Well, that's fine. You know, if that works now, great. But maybe there'll be some, you know, you you were really brave and, and had a sense of playfulness with this when you're like, this way isn't working for me. So I'm going to try it like this. Oh, okay. And now when this is feeling a little bit more comfortable, I can also try this and add to it. Or, oh, I'm seeing how this part is similar to what we're doing in yoga. Okay, so now I have a little confidence. I'll expand this a little bit. So maybe, you know, as you continue, if this was going to be something that you would continue with, maybe you try it without a recording sometime and see how that goes. Maybe it's that that five minutes that you have in your car when you're at work and you're like, okay, I know I'm going into a really important meeting or a community, you know, engagement event. I'm just going to collect myself and see how that happens, you know, how that works, how that works for you. You you can't fail at this for one, once, and for one thing in our life. And there's a, a teacher out in San Francisco named Paul Haller, and I, I listened to one of his talks and he talked about this and it, it just sticks with me. You know, when you notice your breath, when you notice that your mind is wandering, you're doing it. And when you can have that sense that you cannot fail, no matter you know, I mean, if your brain wanders forever, then you've got other problems, <laughs> you know, but this for once, it's okay. And if you can do that in that element and you develop the bravery, the confidence, the, the capability, the self-efficacy, maybe you can do that. And how do, how do I approach this difficult conversation I have to have with a friend? It's going to be okay. Can I trust myself in this? Can I lean into the experience? and not necessarily cling to this to this outcome. Mm-hmm. But that may be a conversation for another podcast with one of your other guests. <laughs> I think that's coming up next. Yeah, I think like the fail a lot of people fail themselves mm-hmm. before they even start. Yeah. Which I definitely think I did in the beginning because I had this narrative mm-hmm. or this idea of myself that, oh, this isn't for me. Like I just didn't resonate with mm-hmm. me with it. I didn't I didn't see myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in it. And so I was like, this is for other people, mm-hmm. not me. Right. But then when you know you have to do it in class, <laughs> um, there is a realization that, oh, maybe there is something yeah. to this. So I appreciate that step. I liked that step a lot. So for the other step, step one, soft belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, I did like um, the focusing on the part of my body, which for me isn't scary. So that was so that was okay for me. But again, we do want to note that a lot of research has been done on the connection of mindfulness and trauma. Mm -hmm. So experiencing various forms of trauma could lead to someone not feeling comfortable with that. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this and you're like, that would not feel comfortable for me, there are definitely alternative um, ways of still activating Mm -hmm. that part of your body without having to focus on a part of your body that might Mm -hmm. be scary or has been violated before. But 
But for me personally, I did enjoy it. And really, really not even that, but also because it kind of contradicts what we learn in yoga mm-hmm. about like mm-hmm. activating your core. Right. And right. so I'm used to bringing attention to mm-hmm. that part of my body mm-hmm. through yoga, mm-hmm. but not the reverse, you know, like right. activating it. Um, and doing bondo work and things right. which is so hard for me. Mm-hmm. That's another conversation. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was different for me to bring attention to that. So that was step one. Then mm-hmm. step three, I tried to do, so this is the stop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of times I feel like I did it without intentionally doing it. Mm-hmm. And then there were other times where I do feel like it was my intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so throughout the week, I tried to do this whenever I felt like I was feeling overwhelmed or I was frustrated or I didn't know why I was feeling a certain way and I wanted to explore it more. So I was really curious about how you're going to do this practice because I lived this, I know, when I was doing my dissertation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll just do an example. Okay, so for one example, my mom and I were on the same flight going to Florida mm. and the process of getting her bag checked took way longer than we expected (laughs) and so we're kind of cutting it close and so we're standing in line at security and the the sign of like how estimated time kept increasing and increasing Mm -hmm. and increasing and I was like oh my gosh our flight takes off in like 40 minutes and I was like there's no way and so my mom was like we can't miss it and we're all like frantic we're looking at the other side to see if that line Mm -hmm. is shorter if we should sprint across (laughs) there and then so I actually and I remember like I was like okay I'm gonna stop let's just slow down because the line's not moving anyway so let's just take a second I remember even like closing my eyes for a brief second because the airport as many people know mm-hmm. like is very chaotic so mm-hmm. then you you feel the need to do something because there's mm-hmm. people running from here to there so I tried to like literally just escape it for a second and I took a breath it was like in through my nose out through my mouth mm-hmm. and it was audible because I was in that people were probably what is going on with her but I was just like <sighs> okay and then I was like, what's going on? And then I noticed that my hand was clenching my suitcase, mm-hmm. the handle, and my toes were curled and my jaw felt tight. Mm. And my shoulders were like glued to my ears. And I was like, I don't want to miss the flight. And I was like, ah, I feel like it was my fault because I didn't want to wake up earlier because <laughs> I don't want to wake up at four in the morning. And so, but I just started to like just observe, okay, what can I do? So then I noticed my shoulders. So I like try to let my shoulders go down mm-hmm. try to like loosen the grip my death grip mm-hmm. on my suitcase because that's not helping anyone mm-hmm. um, so I tried to like bring awareness to that and then I was like okay it is possible that we can miss our flight okay it is also possible that these people who are advertising this this uh I guess I won't name it but there's a thing that can make it faster for you to go to security <laughs> um, if you just enroll in it and it's free for the first month and it's like okay it's a possibility that we could do that and then we'd still be able to make our flight mm-hmm. and so that helped me kind of go back and then I was more calm when I went to my mom and I was like mom I think we should do this thing it won't take long we're gonna miss our flight if we sit through the security line and then I think because I came to her with a calm demeanor, mm-hmm. she was like, okay, sure, let's listen to you. And then we did it, and we made the flight, and it was fine. So that was good because I think if I didn't 
I think the key the key component of this whole acronym is the first one, which is stop. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are slow down. Me especially, mm-hmm. I don't do that. And mm-hmm. that's when I act out of like emotion rather than logic or mm-hmm. or like just being able to give myself time to like think things through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I that was one example of when I did stop and I don't think I went through the acronym itself, but it just made logical sense mm-hmm. to me yeah. to like evaluate things from that point. Mm-hmm. And once I started to focus more on the physical sensations, it took less like it interrupted mm-hmm. my inner dialogue of saying, mm-hmm. oh, you lazy piece of shit. You didn't wake up early. <laughs> now you made your mom stressed. Good job. Right. You're a horrible daughter. Um, so it interrupted that still because that's not helping anyone. Mm-hmm. It's not going to help us make our flight if I continue to think that way. It just right. makes me feel bad. And she wasn't thinking that way. So it helped interrupt that. So I thought that was cool. It's, I mean, that sounds absolutely amazing. You did, you did it all. And you bring up this really, really interesting point. It's that kind of paying attention to to the physical body, you're like, I am just clenched. Like I am in this defensive posture. I You were ready to like do battle or defend yourself or, or something and just softening that, how that also kind of had some feedback to your brain. It's like, I'm not under stress. I'm not under threat here. What can I actually do? And it, as you described, it was like your brain just sort of cleared and it's like, oh, well, here's what we can do. Look at this. And options that that weren't apparent suddenly became apparent, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great example. Because I mean, before I was like, this person's so annoying. Like they keep walking <laughs> around telling me, giving me oh. the answer to the, the problem. And I'm like, can you stop harassing me? Right, and right. I was like, wait, what was it that you said? There's something that we can enroll in and skip the line? Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, pay attention. Well, and that your mom like got that too. And then your conversation kind of like the internal critic, like, look, everything else is piling on you. You don't need one more body on that. Like take yourself out of it and then see what's what's possible. So that sounds like that was a really, a really well-timed exercise to have and that things turned out okay. And that even if they didn't, you're like, okay, I'll figure out what's next, mm-hmm. you know, and that gives you a lot of a lot of agency. Um, so cool. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I noticed it required more like self-kindness mm-hmm. than I anticipated. Yeah. Like you have to be kind to yourself to disrupt those thoughts about yourself that aren't helpful or that mm-hmm. might be harmful mm-hmm. um, to be able to say, I'm going to let go of that mm-hmm. so I can focus on the present mm-hmm. moment. Okay, so now it is time for Doug to give me a brave score. One out of ten, explain why you gave that score. Um, did I approach the steps in a way that you envisioned or that you are proud of? Any thoughts or reflections on my experiential week are welcome. Sure. Boy, I feel like you're back in class. So <laughs> this is going to be, I mean, this is actually a really easy one for any, I mean, I would give you, I would give you a 10 in this, right? And I think probably the step three story alone is such an application of all of it. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was something that was meaningful, almost in, like you described it as intuitive. So good for you. Like, it's not just brave a moment, right? This is like, embedded now you've got it and i really appreciated the the sense of kind of fearlessness and play that you brought to you like i'm going to try this i'm going to trust myself to do it and so many times as you know as adults or um you know or as students you know that are that are in college or in high school or whatever you know we sort of narrow the field of what we can do and you just leaned into it you're like i'm going to try this out and 
you know what, I'll ask a question later and, and figure it out. And then if that isn't it, then I'll choose another path. So I would hope that, I mean, this is a selfish hope, right? Is that if, if someone was listening to this and they'd hear your examples and they would see how you just approached it fearlessly. And I think that's kind of like the point of your podcast. Like you just, as a nerdy teacher, you know, saying now, like you, you displayed it. So I was really impressed and it was really good to, to engage with you on these topics again, now that, you know, you're, you're out of the university and really thinking about these things and thinking about research later. Yeah. Full marks, full, full 10, hundred percent, a plus, I guess that's just a solid. It's not quite an A plus. You don't have an 11 on this, but nicely done. Thank you. Thank you very much. I will accept it. And I will um, think of that anytime I'm meditating and I'm getting frustrated, I'll think, you know, Doug will probably give me a 10. So continue. (laughs) Then that just shows I'm more externally motivated. So perfect. We're working on it. We are working on it. It's a step. It's a step. (laughs) You are not alone. Every episode, I like to add a reminder that you are not alone. Just by listening to this episode, um, I'm hoping that we are contributing to a community of people who want to redefine what it means for them to be brave and to be their most authentic selves. So thank you so much for being here. Feel free to weigh in. Tell me if you agree with Doug's score, if you think I am deserving of a 10, or if you'd give me a different score. Also, if you've ever had any experience with mindfulness, I especially want to hear from people who kind of don't like it or may have had a bad experience with it or want to learn more um, or, or are skeptical about it too. So but definitely if you have any stories or any thoughts of anything that was shared today, if you want to learn more about mindfulness, we'll have a ton of resources in the blog and on the website as well. So feel free to call in. You're not alone. If you find that mindfulness is super challenging and difficult, I'm right there with you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode on breathing. We hope it gave you a new perspective and some more information on mindfulness. Huge thank you to Doug, Dr. Kennedy, for being on the show, creating the Brave Steps, and for sharing his knowledge and experiences. This has been fantastic. So thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for reaching out. It is always, always one of my favorite things to see students again and to see the really amazing work that they're doing. So this was fun. Thanks, Brenny. Yay. So Doug will be announcing the next episode's topic, which is intuition and how to listen to yourself wow he turned on his radio voice for that one (laughs) so please check out the resources page at our website www.bravemomentpodcast.com and the blog for this episode which will include all the steps and resources if you're not already doing so follow bam brave a moment on instagram facebook and twitter if you would like to receive emails whenever a new episode is released visit the bottom of the homepage of the website to sign up and that's a wrap thank you